My name is Jim Polizzi. Uh, I'm a teaching elder in the PCA. I'm serving as a Navy chaplain right now. So I'm on the USS Tortuga, which is homeported in Norfolk at the moment. Um, and I grew up here in Chesapeake. Well, not here in Smithfield, but grew up in Chesapeake. So I'm from this area, so it's good to be back. My family and I, we're going to be um, here for just a few more months, and then I'm transitioning down to serve with the Marine Corps uh, at Camp Lejeune. So I'll be with the 2nd Marine Raider Battalion uh, this summer. So we're excited about that. Um, please feel free to pray for us. Um, I always say that in chaplains, Navy chaplains, we're the best kind of missionary because we don't ask for money. We just need prayer. So, um, But uh, it's also uh, great to finally be here at Hope because I know George Boomer, um, he helped me actually discern my call into chaplaincy when I was pastoring at a church in Richmond, and Ben Shear as well, who used to serve here as a pastor, actually was just uh, with him a couple weeks ago for a, a Navy-wide training. So it's good to actually be here worshiping with you all here at Hope. And I also know Chelsea Kelly, who's highlighted in the in the bulletin. We went to seminary together, so it's kind of a, a small world. Um, but glad to be here with you all this morning. Um, so before we get to the reading of, of God's Word, uh, I want to just ask you this question. Have you ever been in this scenario, whether it's at work or maybe when you're in school um, or wherever you are out in town and you're walking and you see someone up ahead of you and, and they... They wave, and they start waving to you, or at least they, you think it's to you, and so you start to bring your hand up, and as soon as you start, to, as soon as you commit to that action, you're like waving, you're saying hi, you realize that they're talking to someone like behind you, that they maybe don't even really know you. Um, that's never happened to me, that's, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's always great to have someone that sees you. Uh, and sometimes there's a little bit of missteps and they're not actually looking at you. But to, to have someone see you and know you and be excited about you, I think that speaks very deeply to our human longings and how God has created us to be. There's a, a neuroscientist and Christian named Kurt Thompson. He works up in D.C. and he's written several books. And um, one of the, the things that he says is that we're all born into this world looking for someone who's looking for us. All of us are looking for someone who's looking for us. And there's something special about that because uh, we, we want to be known. We want to be seen. We want to be loved. And thankfully for the Christian, we have that in Christ. Uh, but today's passage is going to talk about this exchange. It's, it's a little bit of, of maybe an obscure passage, uh, but it's going to talk about this longing, this longing to be seen and to be known and to be loved. And in, in our passage, it talks about a blessing uh, from a father to a son and how the son so desperately wants to be blessed by his father. So if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 27. We're going to be reading, it's a bit of a longer passage. Um, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 29. So if you're able, I'd invite you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis 27, verses 1 through 29. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, 
I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. You shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and the, on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the, the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you've told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is God's word for us. Will you please pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would uh, help us to attend to it, uh, stir up in our hearts, a desire for you, a conviction of sin, a a heartier trust in your love and your grace and in your mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So again, that's a a pretty lengthy passage of an episode from an account that perhaps you've read or perhaps you haven't uh, before. Uh, So why are we looking at this? Again, it goes back to this longing to be seen, this longing to be blessed, that all of us, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we all have a desire for that. In our text, it ends with Isaac's blessing, those last few verses, to the younger son Jacob. And it is a blessing that the younger son Jacob was always intended to receive. Uh, God wanted Jacob to receive this blessing, but probably not under these dubious circumstances that we see here. There's a lot of Uh, sin going on in this passage. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of brokenness in this family system that's going on. 
But it is a blessing that God intended Jacob to receive. So what are we to make of all this? How is God at work in this passage? Well, my contention is that despite the dysfunction and the deception that we see here, God is still at work. And so if you're a note taker, those are going to be our two headings, uh, dysfunction and deception. God is bringing about his blessing. And that is good news for us today. It's good news for Christians because we're not too unlike these characters here in the narrative. Maybe not in the particulars, but we long to experience blessing, and yet we find ourselves in a broken, sinful, dysfunctional, deceptive world. And sometimes, in order to get that blessing, to hear those words, to feel loved and accepted and blessed, we too deceive. We too um, sin against other people to get that blessing. And sin, it's a real thing. As we know, I don't have to belabor that point, uh, but the fault lines of sin and brokenness, they run right through each and every one of our hearts. They run right through our relationships, in our family systems, in our workplaces, in our friendships. So how does God bless despite dysfunction and deception? We're going to look at that. So our first point, how is God at work despite dysfunction? You can tell him, if you didn't know if I was a PCA teaching elder, you would know because of the alliteration. We really love, really love alliteration. So uh, dysfunction. So upon first reading this story, it's probably really easy to pick out how this family system is dysfunctional. Right? And again, I'm using the words dysfunction, deception, um, for their alliterative, alliterative purposes. But really, this is a lot of sin is being committed here. Right? We're, we're not going to try and cherry coat that. There's, there's a lot of sin going on in this passage. But uh, let's look at each character briefly uh, and individually to, to talk about this dysfunction in the family. So first up, we have Isaac. Right? We have the father. So he's old and sick. We're told that he doesn't really know how much longer he has to live uh, in these opening verses. So he calls his eldest son Esau. Uh, remember, he has twins. I also have twins, um, but not named Esau. One is named Jacob, though. Uh, so uh, that's a little bonus. Um, and so he calls his eldest son Esau, and he asks him, Hey, son, go hunt. Go be the outdoorsman that you are, and come back and prepare for me a delicious meal so that I could eat it. And then after I eat it, I will give you this blessing. Right? Notice this is not in like the context of a family meeting around the big dinner table. Like He is doing this in secret. And mainly he's doing this behind Rebecca's back because um, he knows that he's violating God's word uh, because earlier in his life he was told that the older son will serve the younger, that the blessing is to go to Jacob. Uh, we see that in Genesis 25, verse 23, that the blessing was reserved for the younger son, Jacob. God told Isaac and Rebekah that Esau will serve him. And yet, we have Isaac trying to go his own way, trying to make his own plan, saying, no, no, in our culture, you know, the older son gets the blessing, not the younger son. This is how we're going to do it. So Isaac is off on his own program. He's trying to deceive everyone. He's maybe even trying to deceive the Lord in this. Next up, we have Rebekah. The, the wife and the mother, she overhears this plan between Isaac and his son. And did you catch that? The, the pronouns that are used, his son, when it's referring to Isaac and Esau, and then her son, when it's referring to Rebekah and Jacob. His and her, right? There's definitely favorites going on. Esau is, is a daddy's boy, and Jacob is, is a mama's boy. 
And so we have the narrator using that very intentionally in our passage because there is favoritism going on. There's this dysfunction. And Rebecca also knows the promise of God, and yet she doesn't confront her husband. She doesn't say, hey, uh, Isaac, do you remember God said that Jacob's supposed to have this blessing? Um, No, she doesn't do that, right? Maybe out of fear or discomfort or whatever, but she devises this plan. And so she calls her son, uh, Jacob, to... Uh, to become complicit in this uh, scheme that she's going to hatch to deceive Isaac. Uh, we also have Esau, right, who uh, not necessarily in this passage, we just see him, he's being sent out to go, go hunt game. You may not see how he's playing into the dysfunction uh, in this family system, but in a preceding chapter, we have the account of Esau marrying a Hittite woman, uh, which uh, he shouldn't have done, and that actually caused a lot of strife in his family system. So Esau is also trying to make his own way in the world. He's trying to go uh, live life apart from God's ways and God's commands. And then lastly, we come to Jacob, the tent-dwelling favorite of Rebekah, who, upon hearing her plan to trick his father, he actually objects. Right? He says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Mom. He objects. But he doesn't object to tell his mom that this is wrong that this is sinful, that, this is, that we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't trick uh, Isaac, who thinks he's about to die and is blind. We shouldn't do that. That's wrong. That's unethical. That's against God's law and, and how he's designed things. He objects out of a concern for his own skin, right? What does he say in verse 12? Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Jacob is just concerned about the outcome for him. Is this going to go well for me, or is this going to end terribly for me? Right? He's not concerned about the ethics. He just, he just doesn't want to get caught. Right? So why are we uh, taking the time to explain this, to kind of go through each and every um, character in this narrative? Why does it matter? Well, all of these details are interwoven into God's word here to remind us that God doesn't work through perfect people. There's only one perfect person in all human history, Jesus Christ. There's only one perfect person. God does not use, he he didn't put together the Bible to to say, here's a book of heroes for us to emulate and they're perfect and let's live up to to their standards. We see failure after failure after failure of God's people and God's leaders, moral failings, all sorts of things. The only perfect person is Jesus Christ. And so we see God at work even with broken people, even with people who deceive and are complicit in deception and dysfunction. And that is sad that we see this going on, but it's good news that God doesn't abandon us, that God doesn't stay away from uh, people that are imperfect. Right? God, the gospel is all about God going to those people who are broken and in need of help and in need of healing and forgiveness. And this dysfunction both in this family here in Genesis 27 uh, helps us to remember that when we look at the dysfunction in our own families that God can still be at work. And in fact, he is still at work despite all of that. Um, so I have four small children. Uh, my, my wife, is Susan, and my kids, they should be heading to church in Chesapeake at the moment. But, um, so I'm married to Susan. I have four kids, uh, Hannah, who's seven, Claire is five, and then we have twins, Jacob and Julia, and they're three. So we're very busy. Uh, and, and I bring that up because uh, just the other day I decided to bake a big, make a big breakfast. We did like this Dutch baby big kind of eggy pancake thing. And if anyone um, 
all of us have been children at a point, but if you have small children or you think back to when you had small children, um, doing anything with a lot of small kids is, is a lot of work, right? It gets pretty messy, baking. There's flour everywhere. There's eggshells in the thing. Everyone wants to help. Um, it is a messy endeavor, right? So if you were to have visited our house, you know, that other day when we were baking, you would have seen toys strewn about the floor. Paw Patrol is probably on in the TV. There's, you know, the chairs awry, um, piles of laundry, you know, um, don't tell my wife I'm sharing all of our dirty secrets here, but like, you, you know, the house is chaotic and there's flour everywhere on the ceiling and, and whatnot. And, um, it would look very chaotic. It would look very dysfunctional, but we were at work, right? We were raising young kids. We're practicing hospitality. We're loving them. We're, we're trying to make some breakfast, um, which they may or may not eat. I don't know. I will definitely eat it. Um, but we're at work making something with intention. Uh, here in our Bible passage today, we see this description of a broken and a dysfunctional family system. And for a lot of us, it's, it's really familiar. Maybe not in, again, not in the particulars, but in the sentiments of it. Um, it's in the favoritism that we see. It's in the passive-aggressive moves that are made by people. It's, it's in the, the ways that people are trying to outwit and outsmart uh, to, to preserve themselves. But we see God still at work with intentionality in spite of all of that mess. He is still seeking to accomplish all of his purposes of blessing. And hopefully that's a comfort to you today. Because there's no greater defeat of evil than for God to actually transform it uh, and its violent schemes into something that is good and something that brings about blessing. It's it's the story of Romans 8.28. Things don't have to make sense, but for those who believe in Christ Jesus, all things are working together for their good. And they are hurting people here today. They are hurting people... Um, in our families. There's a hurting person here up in the pulpit today. Right? We all have stories of brokenness, of past traumas, of neglect, of dysfunction, of s- being sinned against, of sinning against others. We don't have to pretend that everything is okay. Right? Those things don't define us. But we don't have to pretend that everything is okay. And being a Christian doesn't mean putting on a happy face and, and, and just saying everything is fine. But we can look at the God who's still at work despite the sin, despite the pain, despite all the brokenness. And we can see him still working blessing where we only know that, that pain. And as we continue to look at Isaac's family, it's not only the dysfunction that we're looking at here in the family system, but um, it's also the deception, right? And we've touched a little bit out on that. But let's look at just the downright, willful, sinful lying that we see um, in this family here. So our second question, how's God blessing despite deception? The blessing that Isaac is seeking to give to Esau is, um, in this context, it's not just a will, right? It's not just, um, it's just not something that uh, is a, a legal thing of like, here, son, this, these are the things that you're going to have when, when I die. Um, blessing in the Bible is when one person looks at another person and discerning who they are, they use powerful words and they use gestures to affirm who they are, encourage who they are, and to empower them to be the person that God has made them to be. It's, it's a blessing that that person won't forget. That's what's conveyed by blessing in the Bible, right? An affirmation, an encouragement, and an empowerment to be who they are. And so this is a, a very powerful moment uh, in, in the family, right? It's a blessing that Jacob... Uh, and Rebecca are willing to deceive their their father and husband Isaac for 
um, who believes he's on his deathbed, right? He actually doesn't die in this passage. That He has some more time, but he thinks he's close to death. And so he's on his deathbed. And so his wife and one of his sons are, are, want to trick him to get this blessing. They want it so badly. And so we have this scene of Jacob bringing two young goats to his mom to prepare uh, the food so that they can trick uh, Isaac. And the food is cooked, and beginning in verse 18 and following, we see that Jacob excuse me, walks into the room where his father Isaac is laying, and he, he puts on this charade. He pretends to be Esau. He's covered in Esau's clothing and, and uh, uses the skin of a goat in order to feel uh, like Esau, who apparently, to, according to biblical descriptions, is basically Chewbacca. Um, I mean, extremely hairy that you would use goat skins and whatnot. But, so he's, he's going in, pretending to be his brother, really hairy guy, and uh, he goes to his dad, who's believed to be on his deathbed, who's blind, and he says, um, the, the dad, Isaac, says, Who are you, my son? And then Jacob replies in our text, I'm Esau, your firstborn. But Isaac, blind as he may be, he's still a little bit, uh, he's a little bit suspicious, right? If anyone's a hunter, I, I'm not really a big hunter, but it, you don't, it's not a quick thing, right? I would imagine, right? It's, it's, it's a long day. And then to take what you've, what you've found and then to also dress it and prepare it and cook it, I mean, that's, that's not some quick turnaround, right? So, Isaac, he's kind of on to this. He's, he's a bit suspicious because it's all happening way too quickly. And so he asks some questions, right? He's trying to get to the bottom of what's going on, whether it really is Esau or not. So even like he is, he is willing to continue his own deception, right? Isaac is, he really wants to make sure that he blesses his older son. He's so defiant against what God wants that he's still wanting to make sure his plans are safe and secure. So he's asking these questions. So in verse 21, says, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So again, Jacob, he's, he's dead set. Or I'm sorry, Isaac, he's dead set on his own deception, right? And he wants to give his favorite son Esau this blessing. So there's this back and forth, right? We, we read it earlier um, where, where Isaac is asking questions. And, um, and then it ends with uh, a request, a request uh, in verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, that's Jacob, come near and kiss me, my son. And so his son comes near to kiss him, right? This is, this is the moment of truth. Because Isaac, he secretly, he doesn't really care about the kiss. He just wants to smell. He wants to see if he can smell the smell of Esau. And so Jacob, never his father's favorite, Never the man's man. He comes in and he gives his father a kiss. And Isaac, he smells the smell of, of the garments of Esau. And this smile must have crept across his face of like, oh, okay, it is my son Esau. This is secure. He sees this, this smile on his father's face. face. And Jacob, he, he hears these beautiful words of blessing, right? In verses 27 through 29. And this should have been a very beautiful, a very powerful, a very holy moment between father and son. You know, preparing to preach for this passage, it, it brought me back just to my father's bedside who, who passed away from cancer many years ago. Um, and that was a powerful moment, the words that we exchanged. And I know that there are people here who have had those moments with loved ones at their bedside um, as, as you exchange uh, those words of, of love and grace and you shed tears 
and you exchange um, powerful words which you remember. So this should have been a powerful and profound moment between father and son. But it wasn't. Right? Because his dad didn't mean any of that for him. Jacob must have known that going in. He is only seeing the smile of his father. He's only hearing these words of blessing because he has completely hidden who he is. His dad does not mean any of that for him. Can you imagine how bitter that moment must have been for Jacob? He got what he wanted. He re- he's hearing the blessing. He's receiving the blessing. He's seeing his father's affections. He sees the smile. He hears those words. But in his heart, he must have known, none of this is for me. They're not meant for me. They're only meant for his brother. I mean, how crushing to finally see your dad smile. But it's only because you've hidden who you truly are. Only because you've disguised your true self in order to get that which you most desperately want and need. So it's pretty safe to say that as powerful and as binding as this blessing was, and God intended Jacob to receive this blessing, that it still did not satisfy Jacob. Because if you look further in your Bible, you'll see that later in Jacob's life, there's this famous scene where he wrestles all night with this mysterious angel of the Lord, perhaps even God himself. Some theologians, even is it a pre-incarnate Christ? We don't, it's a very mysterious thing. Jacob is wrestling with God all through the night. And he won't give up. Through the pain, through the tears, through the exhaustion, he will not let go until his demands are met. And the angel of the Lord, he, he, he asks to be let go. And, and do you remember what Jacob demands from God? He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob is still longing for that blessing. He's still longing to receive that blessing when he is seen and known and loved and empowered and encouraged. All of us long for that blessing. And all of us experience dysfunction and deception, and we hide ourselves, and we conceal who we truly are in order to to receive powerful words of affirmation, in order to hear the blessings and to receive the approvals that people will lavish upon us. But it's really not for us. It's, It's really this false self that we've built up. We don't have to look far for examples for this, right? Just pull up whatever social media stream that you like to use or that people use in your family and just take a look at the content that people put out. Right? Even if, we're, uh, if we aren't trying to deceive others uh, so that they'll approve of us, we always put ourselves up in the best light. Right? We only share just a curated selection of our own lives. I mean, life isn't curated like social media is, is it? You know, I might post that finished product of breakfast and like all my kids like smiling and eating or you know, whatever, the powdered sugar on the French toast or whatever it is that we're making. Um, but you don't see all the rest of the mess, the, uh, you know, around the house. You don't see the, the, me yelling at my child for cracking a whole egg into the bowl or whatever um, or, or getting frustrated. You don't see that. You just see that finished, beautiful pro- product. And then I get all the likes and all that stuff. I mean, all of us have been in a crowd, but we felt lonely. All of us have been invited to a party which we've wanted to leave after just a few minutes of being there. All of us have likes on social media, but we may not feel loved in real life. So many of us can get comments on our posts, but we can't get that friend to call us back. 
And so, faced with our perceived inadequacies, traumatized by favoritism, uh, we shrink deeper and deeper and deeper into deception. We begin to lie to others. We even lie to ourselves. We even try to lie to God in order to chase that blessing. It never truly satisfies. Because even if we're successful in fooling ourselves, in fooling our, uh, in other people, and they look at us and they say, wow, there's no one else like you, and they give us those words of blessing, they are affirming and encouraging and equipping someone who is not us. Those words, therefore, that false facade that you've put up. And just like Jacob, we may see that smile, we may hear their words, but inside our hearts are breaking because they're not really affirming who we are. They're not really seeing us or knowing us or blessing us. But here's the good news of the gospel. God sees you. And God knows you. And God blesses you in Christ. You don't have to perform You don't have to pretend to be anyone else to experience this blessing from the Lord. You are blessed by God despite your own attempts to deceive yourself, to deceive others, and even to deceive him. Jacob clothed himself and he took on the likeness of Esau in order to deceive his father. But Jesus Christ, our Lord, God's own son, willfully clothed himself in our sin and took on our likeness in order to redeem us, in order to give us access to our Heavenly Father who, who smiles upon us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You don't have to pretend with God. God sees you, warts and all, and he loves you. So much that he sent his son to die for you. In Christ, we are clothed with his righteousness. We are daughters and sons of our father who sees us and affirms us and uses his powerful word to encourage us. And he empowers us by his Holy Spirit. He encourages us to become the people he's he's made us to be by placing us in communities, by putting us into the church, in the midst of God's people. And All of us have experienced dysfunction and deception. But God is at work in you. He's at work in the midst of his people. He's at work in his church. You need to hear this today. That God doesn't love you because of your accomplishments. He doesn't love you because of your resume. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'll read it for us just in case if you don't have it. So, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. God, through Moses, is reminding his people of just this fact. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Okay, that's easy to, you know, like, yes, I'm on board. Um, You know, oh, God's chosen me. He's chosen his people. Like, we're holy to the Lord. That's easy. You know, that's easy. That feels good. That's like that affirmation, right? But here's the reality. Verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. That's a bit of an ego check, right? But it is because the Lord loves you 
and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Right? God is reminding his people here on the other side of, of the Red Sea, their newly freed uh, Israel, right? God didn't save you because you impressed him. God didn't save you because you were holy or you kept sacrifices, you were faithful that whole time when you were in Egypt being oppressed. No, God, God set his affections on you because he decided to do that, because he's a covenant-keeping God. He is faithful to his promises, Right, That is good news for us because I don't know about you, um, but if I'm honest with myself, I, I'm definitely not very impressive. I like to pretend that I'm very impressive, but God sees right through that. And people see right through that. And so it's really good news. It's the good news of the gospel that God sees us, warts and all, all of our dysfunction, all of our sinfulness, and he sent his son to take our sin and to redeem us. That is the good news of Scripture. God doesn't love you because you're powerful or because you're good, or because you're competent, or even over the quality of your repentance of your sin. He loves you because in time eternal, he chose you, and he called you by name to be his very own. His Holy Spirit changed your heart even before you knew he was at work, and he sent his son Jesus to redeem you and to pay for your sins. And now God sees you, the true you, the you that you want to hide from everyone. The you that you don't even want to acknowledge to yourself. He sees your depth, uh, the, the deep, dark secrets that you want to keep hidden, and he still loves you. And he loves you so much that he's changing you, and he's redeeming you, and he's calling you to repent over your sin and to put off sin and to put on Christ. He's at work in you, but he sees all of it, and he still sent his son to redeem you. And you don't need to deceive God. You don't need to try and trick him or impress him. God himself has promised to never let you go in Christ Jesus because he has blessed you. So my question as we close is this. Do you know the love of the Father? Are you still running around pretending to be someone who you're not in order to impress God or other people? God is at work in the, mess, in the midst of mess and pain. God doesn't just use um, perfect people to accomplish his, his purposes. We see that in, in this passage today. Instead, we can trust in his perfect son, Jesus, for our hope and for our blessing. You see, just as Rebecca in our passage today uh, promised Jacob that she would bear the curse if he was discovered, Jesus himself bears our curse because the news is, is that we have been discovered to be sinners. And Jesus took that curse, that condemnation, that punishment upon himself, and we are now adopted as sons and daughters, and our Father loves us and smiles upon us, and we can cry out, Abba, Father, and know that he hears us, and we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, and we can see Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame and went to the cross to redeem us. That is your God. That is your Savior. That is the one who loves you, who died for you, who is with you, and who blesses you. And so are you allowing him to see you and to bless you? Are you relying on him or are you relying upon your own schemes and deceptions? And this new status as children of God, it compels us to go out and to bless others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. We can be a people that are so shaped and transformed by God's blessing that we too can go out and bless other people. 
But first and foremost, we need to rest and trust that we are blessed to the utmost in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty and ever-loving Father, we ask that you would help us. um, Help us to know that you love us, that you have blessed us in Christ. Help us to find uh, sweet freedom in, in, in the truth that you know us. You truly see us. You see the things that we try to hide from others, the things that we try to hide from you, the things that we are hesitant to even acknowledge to ourselves. You see us, and your son Jesus died for sins, not just past sins, not just present sins, but future sins. He came to die for all that would disqualify us, and he speaks words of blessing upon us. And so I ask that you would help us to hope in your son Jesus, to rely upon the power of your Holy Spirit and not upon our own power, and that we would trust in your covenant faithfulness and your steadfast love as you pronounce words of blessing over us. Be with us, we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.